Well, I hope you came to get fed this morning. I, I'm not going to give you a whole barn today. We, we are going to give you half the barn, but not the whole barn today. Last week was Mother's Day. We had a wonderful time with our mothers in the house. I felt like the Lord kind of gave us a great Mother's Day word for us. And um, the only problem is I didn't finish the Mother's Day message. But the good news is um, that I get to today. And um, But it's not about mothers. I really believe what we have to share and talk about today is for all of us. And we were talking about Moses a little bit, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But our message title today is Drawn Out for Greatness. Have you ever seen someone and you ask yourself, um, man, if there's anybody that would ever become great, this is a great person right here. Um, this, this person has got it all going on. And then, then you've had these other conversations where you said to yourself something like, um, man, what a shame they had so much, and just fill in the blank. They had so much talent, what a shame. They had so, so much giftings, uh, what, what a shame. They, they had so many opportunities, or they had so much potential, or they had so many resources, so many gifts. Uh, what a shame that they never became who they could have become. I don't know about you, but I've met people like that. I've run into people like that. I've seen people like that. And I kind of think that sometimes... It's much easier to spot and see greatness in others than it is to see it in ourselves, though. Isn't it true? I can spot greatness in somebody else, but sometimes I have a hard time seeing it in me. And this morning, I want to I just remind us that there's something great inside of all of us. If you've known Jesus, if you've met Jesus, if you've allowed Jesus to become the Lord of your life and surrendered your life to him, then greatness has moved in. And who are you to not say that something great doesn't live inside or that the potential for greatness doesn't reside with you as well? I don't believe that we wake up one morning and become great. I believe greatness becomes a process. There's no one born absolutely just great. We, it's, we, we walk in the process of greatness. Like the old fellow, he was praying and to the Lord, he said, Lord God, today I, I have not lost my temper and I, I've, I haven't gotten angry with my wife and I haven't cussed, you know, my neighbor out and I, I, I've been pretty patient today. I, I, I think I've really been kind of holy today, God, but right now I really need your help more than ever before because God, right now I'm getting ready to get out of bed and start my day. Come on, some, you know, I, it's a process. Let me know it's a process. Greatness just doesn't show up. It's a, it's a process. So I want to read a, a, a Exodus chapter 1. And uh, we, we read it last week. And I just want to go back and do a little reading. Some of you haven't read your Bible this week, so we're going to catch up a little bit. And uh, so chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to read out of the Message Bible this morning. I love the Message Bible. And so a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. And he spoke to his people with alarm. There are way too many of these Israelites for us to handle. So we've got to do something. So let's devise a plan to contain them, lest if there's a war, they should join the enemies or just walk off and leave us. So they organized them into work gangs and put them into hard labor under gang foremen. They built the storage cities of Python and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the harder the Egyptians worked them, and then the more children the Israelites had, children everywhere. The Egyptians got so that, got so that they couldn't even stand the Israelites and treated them worse than ever crushing them with slave labor. They made them miserable with hard labor, making bricks and mortar and back-breaking work in the fields. 
They piled on to the work, crushing them under the cruel workload. And the king of Egypt had a talk with the two, the, the two Hebrew midwives. One was named Shifra, the other Pua. And he said, when you deliver the Hebrew women, look at the sex of the baby. If it's a boy, you kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But the midwives had far too much respect for God. They didn't do what the king of Egypt ordered. They let the boy babies live. The king of Egypt called the midwives. Why didn't you obey my orders? You've, you've let these babies live. God was pleased with the midwives. and People continued to increase in number, very strong people. And because the midwives honored God, God gave them families of their own. So Pharaoh issued a general order to all the people that every boy that is born drawn drown him in the Nile, but let the girls live. Moving on, chapter two, verse one, a few more verses. And a man from the family of Levi named, married a Levite woman, and the woman became pregnant and had a son. She saw there was something special about him, and she hid him. And she hid him for three months, and when she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a little basket boat made of papyrus, waterproofed it with tar and pitch, and placed the child in it. And then she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile, and the baby's older sister found herself a vantage point a little way off and watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe. Her maiden strolled on the bank, and she saw the basket boat floating in the reeds and sent her maids to get it. She opened it. She saw the child, a baby, crying. Her heart went out to him. And she said, this must be one of the Hebrew babies. And then the sister was before her, do you want me to go and get a nursing mother from the Hebrews so she can nurse the baby for you? Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, go. And the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter um, told her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. <laughs> and the woman took the child, nursed him, and after the child was weaned, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter, was adopted, adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, which means pulled out saying, I pulled him out of the water. Time passed and Moses grew up and one day he went and saw his brothers and saw all that hard labor and then he saw an Egyptian hit a Hebrew, one of the relatives, one of his relatives and he looked his way and that way and when he realized there was no one in sight, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Jim Collins wrote a book years ago. It was a bestseller. Many of you may have read it called Good to Great. And in the first chapter of that bio, uh, book, he said that good is the enemy of great. And that this is one of the key reasons we have so little that becomes great, because we have so much that is good. We have, we have schools that are not great because they're good. We don't have good governments because we, I mean, we don't have great governments because we have good governments. We don't have great leaders because we have good leaders. We don't have great marriages because we have good marriages. We don't have great things because we have good things. And that, it, that literally good becomes the enemy of great. I felt compelled this morning to talk to us about the greatness that lives inside of you. And that there is something that God wants to pull out or draw out of you. But you gotta commit yourself to the process. I remember talking to my Bible instructor early in my 20s and, and uh, a good, became a good friend and we were sitting one day and he was talking. He, he said, JP, what kind of a, 
you, you, you want to get married one day? I said, absolutely. He, goes, he says, what kind of spouse are you looking for? What kind, what kind of woman are you looking for? And, and about that time, many of you may not remember, this was years ago, there was a movie came out. I never saw the movie, but everyone was talked about it. The title of the movie was, it was 10, was the number 10. I, I think it was about some guy looking for the perfect woman, and he titled it 10. He was looking for his 10. Uh, that would be the perfect woman. And so I said, well, I'm looking for a 10. He goes, you are? I said, yeah, I'm looking for a 10. I'm looking for a 10, you know, relationally, looking for a 10, you know, um, uh, spiritually. I'm looking for a 10 physically. Come on, I'm looking for a, a 10. I'm looking for a 10. He goes, well, that's, that's awesome. That's, I respect that. And then a little while later, he goes, uh, JP, you do realize, though, that if you're looking for a 10, you got to be a 10. Well, I didn't really think that one through. He says, you think some 10 woman's gonna be looking for a five husband? He said, what kind of, what kind of man are you? Are you a five or are you a 10? I'm, I'm like, well, let me get back with you on that. I began to realize I, I had some work to do because I wasn't a 10. I still don't think I am a 10, but I'm, I'm getting there. Come on, my, my wife doesn't think I'm a 10 sometimes, but I, I'm doing better than I was. The point is, is if you want to settle for good, then keep doing what you're doing. But if you want great, then you're going to have to submit to a process. Do you know the Bible says in Galatians 6 verse 7, it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever things you sow, you're going to also reap. And we like to, sometimes we quote that scripture as a way of just trying to convince somebody, guilt somebody, shame somebody into doing the right thing because, hey, listen, you better not do that because, you know, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. You know, you do that, you sow that seed, you know, it's going to come back to you. But let me tell you something. God gave that scripture as a law not for, to, to, to cause us to, to experience bad things, but to, to allow us the opportunity to experience good things. Because here's the deal. If I sow good seed, I'm going to reap good seed. Come on. If I reap good seed, I'm going to reap actually great seed. And so God wants us to submit ourselves to the process of looking inside of us and, and saying, God, I, I'm not comfortable with where I'm at. I, I want to go higher. I want, I want great. I want to receive. I want to move. I want to become great in the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I, I'm not comfortable being with, with someone said, JP, you want, you want to fly this plane with this pilot? We got a good pilot and we got a great pilot. Choose which one you want to fly with. How many are going to go with the good pilot or how many are going to go with the great pilot? You're going to go with the great pilot. Come on. And we have a great God. We serve a great God who moved into our lives, set himself up on the throne room of our hearts the moment we invited him in and has said to us, he's saying to us all the time, I will become great inside of you if you give me the opportunity. And so today the Lord wants to say to us, I'm drawing out of you greatness if you'll submit to the process. Because there's something down deep inside of you that's got to come out that is great. So there's this horse called Rich Strike. So don't, 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 don't give it away now. And uh, last week there was a Kentucky Derby. Someone, in the, I was greeting people last week, and they said, JP, did you see the Kentucky Derby? I said, no, I didn't see it. They said, you might want to watch that race. 
Now, I like races. I just like it. Paul likes races. He talked about in the Bible. I like races. And, 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 and so there was this, uh, there was this, this horse that um, was bought by this guy. Let me tell you, let me just set it up for just a second. So the average horse, racing horse that you buy is, uh, the average cost is between 75000 to $10 million. The starting price, $75,000. That, that's, a, that's a sport I, I, I'll never get into. I promise you that right now. <laughs> in fact, the, the, the richest horse ever bought, Fusashi Pegasus, I probably butchered the name, sold for $64 million. Yeah, this is a rich man's sport. And so this guy buys this horse at an auction for $30,000. Chump change. It means almost like pennies. It's nothing. He brings it home, tells his trainer, hey, you know, race this thing around, tell me what you think. A couple weeks later, the trainer calls the owner and says, boss, I think we got something here. He says, what are you talking about? He goes, that $30,000 horse you bought? He goes, yeah. He goes, man, I've been watching this thing run. We might have ourselves a derby horse. He said, well, you mean like, like a derby horse or a derby winner? He goes, I don't know yet. Definitely a derby horse, but maybe even a derby winner. He goes, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, because that's a $30,000 horse. I'm telling you, boss, I'm just, I'm just telling you. So, he, the, so the owner pulls out his calendar, looks at when the derby, the Kentucky Derby is supposed to be run, and he had six months between that point and the derby to, to get this horse ready. He goes, well, I figured maybe what we can do is we, can, we just have enough time to enter two, two races. If the horse does good in these two races, then maybe we can somehow sneak into the, the derby. It sounds like a good plan. They submitted the horse. He ran these two races and really did great. The only problem is they'd already selected the, the, the horses for the Kentucky Derby. With just a few minutes left before the race time, like a, like a day and a half, two days before the race time, the, one of the horses bowed out. They, they, they withdrew the, the horse. And so with 30 seconds left on the clock, they submitted Rich Strike, this horse that he bought for 30000 to enter the race. With 30 seconds. Every, all the other horses are in the barn. They're practicing. This horse is out in the field. And so as a result, you know, it's, it's, it's in the last place. It's in the 20th position. It's the last horse. It's the furthest away. It's the worst position to ever start in a horse race. And they entered the race. And we'll show you what happened because I know you can't wait to see. Once again, we're ready for a start. Number 21. They're off. Rich strike. The Kentucky Derby. And summer is tomorrow. Had a great start. It goes immediately to the early lead. Messier is away running with speed. Crown Pride to the outside. Epicenter is going to be taken back a bit. Down toward the inside as Tapa goes up outside of Chargent. And farther out and close to the pace is Cyberknife. Then comes on the outside Zozos as they race by us for the first time. It will be Summer is tomorrow to lead the way. Brown Pride on the outside second. Messier follows in third. Zozos fourth. Cyberknife is fifth to the outside. And then it's Tapa. Charge it behind them. Epicenter finds himself in mid-pack here. Pioneer Medina. Smile happy next. And then Zandon to the inside at Wida Barrio. Last at Causeway is after that. They're followed by Tawny Port. The end of the back stretch. Simplification is next. Then comes Tiz the Bomb. Rich Strike. It's not even in the picture. It's not even in the picture. And then the two trailers of the back stretch are Barber Road and Happy Jack. That opening 
half miles, whoa, blazing fast. 45.36 seconds for Summerist tomorrow, who heads up the backstretch in front with Japan's crown pride right alongside. And Messier goes up in between those two. The pace continues to be hot. Zozos is next after three quarters in one minute, ten and four foot seconds. And now Epicenter comes Look out. splitting horses and is moving up quickly as Crown Pride takes the lead around the far turn. Ooh. It is Crown Pride battling with Messier. They're stride for stride. Epicenter and Zozos in behind them. Cybernet sweeps up on the outside. Sandon gets the rail run and they're into the stretch. And it's Messier, Crown Pride, and Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandon is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandon, these two, strive for stride. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter, Sandon, reach right. He's coming up on the inside. Oh, my goodness. The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike has done it in a stunning, unbelievable upset. Woo! Yeah! I love that. My wife, we're laying in bed. We're laying in bed watching the Kentucky Derby over and over and over again. I'm like, why am I even a racehorse guy? Why am I watching this over and over? Because there's something inside of me that resonates with something like that that has no way of winning. That's, no one has even looked at it. It's not even paying attention. That's, that's, a, that, that's a little shepherd boy out in the... Yeah, he's out there with the sheep. He's a nobody. He's never going to be a king. God loves to take the little things like that that no one even sees importance. A, a little $30,000 cult uh, that's come pop at an auction and says, I'm going to put this thing in first place. Just watch what I can do when I move inside of this thing. Come on, boy. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're a rich strike. Come on, you are a rich strike. Oh. I love it that we can come to a church and watch races like this. This is fun. I mean, you never know what you're going to watch. You know what I'm saying? You never know what you're going to see in this church. But greatness lives with inside of you. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine according to his power that lives and at work within me. Come on. That's the rich strike. That's the, that's the person that God's calling greatness out of. Don't, don't look at somebody's outer cover. Don't look at the book by his cover and measure and judge it. I'm telling you, somebody moved inside of you that's great. And greatness is calling unto greatness. Deep calls into deep, uh, and it's saying, come, come out, uh, come out, uh, come out. Uh, no longer be a part of these other little horses uh, that think there's somebody. There's somebody inside of you, and you're going to be the leader. You're the head, not the tail. You're the first and not the last. And inside of this little child, inside of this little basket was something called greatness. Uh, no one could see it. No one had a feather. Mama had a clue that something good uh, was in this child. Something fine was in this child. She saw it through the prophetic eyes, uh, but nobody else could see it, but God knew. And God was raising it up. Last week we talked about the four tools that God uses to draw out greatness, and we only really talked about one, which was a mama. You got to have a mother. You're going to have a hard time moving into greatness if you don't have a mama because that means you're not going to be born. 
Her name was Jochebed, means God's glory, the first person ever to share the word God with their name in the Bible. God's glory. And so she had these six qualities really quickly, and we're moving on. She had a deep sense of importance. She had conviction. She had toughness. She had the ability to see value and worth. Uh, She had a nurturing heart. She had spiritual sensitivity. And now we move to the second tool that God uses to pull out greatness from inside of you. And that's a midwife. Yeah. These midwives were asked to risk their very life. God was challenging them to risk your very life to pull greatness out of these, these, uh, these women that were having children. And they named two of them specifically, Sifra, Sifra and Pua. Sifra, and they both have the same meaning, basically. Sifra means brightness, and Pua means to shine with a bright light. They both were this bright light in a dark world. Can I say that these two midwives represent to us what I call the local church? It represents you and I. We're the midwives. We, got, we have a mother that's pushing out and we got a midwife that's pulling out. Inside of everybody in this room, there was birthed something great. And guess what? You need a mid- midwife to pull it out. Sometimes they grab your head and you don't like it. Sometimes they grab an arm and you don't like it. Sometimes they grab a leg you don't like it. You like exactly where you're at, but you need the body of Christ. You need the church to pull the greatness out of you. Yes, you do. Let me remind you, Ephesians 5, 27, that he, Christ, might present to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. For greatness to come out of you, you're going to need community. Let me say it like this. For, you, for greatness to come out of you, you're going to need people around you that will pull it out. You're going to need a church. You're going to need a small group. You're going to need a small group leader. You're going to need a worship experience. You're going to need people who are laying down their lives and risking their very lives and reputations uh, just to be uh, in your presence and in your community in order to pull out of you and to know you. Some of you don't want to be known. You want to hide in the corners. You don't want to be a part of community. You don't want to be a part of, of relationships. You know why? Because inside of you, you don't really believe there's greatness. But great people realize they need a midwife. People that realize that there's greatness inside realize they need people inside to pull them up. Don't shout me down. This is, this is okay. Well, Pastor, I, I kind of like this little summit church, you know, I, I I'm kind of liking this. What, how, how do I fit in? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's called a journey class. It takes place right after service. That's where you get involved. That's where you, we get to hear your story. You get to hear our story. We, we get to talk about your gifts, your passions, and your purposes, and, and we get to marry them together with God's calling upon your life. And we get to help you, push you into the place that God has planned for you all along. Look at Acts chapter 2. In the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking the bread, to prayer. These four things have to happen in a great church. 
Every day they continued to meet together at the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glass and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What am I saying? That greatness will not happen outside of the context of the local church. You need apostles' teaching. This is this. You need some teaching. You need worship. You need, some, you need a fellowship of believers. You need to break bread. They need to know your heart and your struggles. I'm so proud of my, my, one of my daughters of faith. She moved up to Virginia, and she had not been. She, she was locked into a dead-end job, and she had not gone to a small group in her church. She would never have entered into now this incredible um, job that she's now experiencing. And her talents would have been dormant. But because she went to a small group, she met a person at the small group who said, I feel like the Lord's speaking to me that I need to hire you. She goes, what do you do? And he told her what he did. And she goes, okay, well, and so now she's like his right-hand person running this business for him. Never would have happened. Her gifts would have been dormant if she had not submitted herself to a small group, a group of people. It's other people that will call you into your greatness. I promise you. And the third thing you need is you need a mentor. You need a life coach. You need a counselor. You need a friend that's going to tell you the truth and not the things you just want to hear. You need a pastor. You, you, need, a, you need a small group leader. And it just so happened the Pharaoh's daughter went down to the river. It just so happens she's down by the river and she ends up adopting this child. Why, 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 why did God even allow this to happen? What a, what a weird story. Mother has a child, isn't able to raise the child. Someone else raises her child. Child becomes great. Here's why you need a mentor. Because Moses' mother, she was a slave. But what Moses needed, he needed freedom. He wasn't going to get freedom from his mama. He was thankful that she birthed him and the pain that she went through. She had the milk, but she didn't have the method. She was beat down, but he needed someone that would teach him how to walk with authority and power and walk his royalty. He needed someone that would not teach him the mentality of a slave. He needed someone that would open his eyes uh, to the greatness that was uh, and the potential that, and the resources that was available to him. Mama didn't have any influence, uh, but Pharaoh's daughter did. Uh, ma mama, and, and listen, you're in your life, uh, you've had people like Mama that she, she birthed you, but what should she do? She, she ends up because she didn't know what else to do. She pushes him into the bulrushes, into the river. And, and, and some of you have felt like, even in your own life, that you, you've been abandoned by a parent, by a mother, by a father, by a, a person who's supposed to take care of you. And you've almost like been bitter about the whole childhood experience. But let me tell you something, the Romans, I mean, the Bible tells us very clearly, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, called according to his purpose. So some of you need to, just to move on. You need to make peace with your story. Mama did the best she could with what she had. 
Yeah, so you, you ended up crying in a basket for a period of years in your life. Uh, maybe those years of time when you really wanted to be nurtured and it didn't happen. And yeah, maybe you felt like you went through some tough, difficult situations and there were crocodiles over there that could have swallowed you up and some snakes over there that could have hurt you and you, and you couldn't understand how, how come I couldn't have the childhood of somebody else or how come I couldn't be raised by someone that really loved me for who I was. Uh, can I just remind you that that you still got to where God wanted you to get to, and he has you right now where you need to be. Make peace with your story. Quit blaming mama and daddy for the rest of your life for who you are. Accept who, for who you are and move on and know that God's hand is on your life. The good news is that you thought mama had abandoned you and you thought that she had pushed you out, uh, but God was there all the time. And you can't spend the rest of your life mad at something that God had his hand in all along. It was God, even though Moses could have looked back and said, what kind of mom abandons her child and puts him out there in a river forever, not knowing what's going to happen? What kind of mama would do that? But yet God had moved his mama to do that. Even though you look at your mama and your daddy, your people that are supposed to take care of you in your past uh, as people that let you down, I will tell you that they didn't let you down because God never let you down. And God still got you where you needed to be. And that's why you're here right now. Come on. And while you're crying in your basket, Pharaoh's daughter is coming down the road. You're whining, crying. <laughs> oh, I don't have no one loves me. Everyone else got people who love them, take care of them. I, I'm out here in the middle of a, a raging river. Oh, who's going to take care of me? And you're crying and you're whining and you're going through all your stuff. But let me tell you something. There's a Pharaoh's daughter coming down the road uh, and it actually is your pain. You're crying and you're weeping and you're hurt uh, that actually opens the basket and suddenly the basket opens up uh, and it's the, it's the mentor. It's this person that's going to take you to a whole nother level. It is your crying. It's your pain that leads you into the palace. Wow. Let me say that again. That was good. It is your pain that leads you into the palace. And you need the palace because you're not going to get where God wants you to get if you don't have the palace. But you've got to leave a woman that's bound in her suffering and her own pain to get to the palace. So we can now be these people that rejoice in all things. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We need a mentor. And number four, the worship team come. We need a mark in time. We need a mark in time. Moses spent 40 years grappling with this anointing that was within him. He's in conflict. He experiences the pain of a Hebrew with the platform of an Egyptian. He seems to exist in two different worlds. It seems to him that no one identifies with him. I, he goes to bed at night weeping over the pain of the Hebrew slaves while everybody around him drinks and parties and rejoices 
over the life that they live, the resources they are experiencing, the cars that they're driving, the houses that they're living in, the vacations that they're able to take. But yet inside of Moses, he, he never seems to be able to come to that place of joy that, or, or happiness that everyone else is experiencing because it, all he sees in his mind is, is the whips coming off the, onto the backs of the Hebrew slaves. He asks them, why do I feel the pain of a slave when I live in a palace? Can I remind you this morning that your history will carry inside of it the clues to your purpose. That your past is building a highway into your future. And that no one in the palace came from where Moses came from. That God loves to put people in positions that are troubled by things that everyone else sees as normal. What troubles you? What pains you? What keeps you up at night? Asking the questions, why doesn't someone do something about this? Maybe it's a little child living down the street that's constantly being abused by a parent. Maybe it's a homeless person. Maybe a person strung out on drugs, maybe a marriage that's in crisis, a co-worker struggling financially. What is it that keeps you awake at night? Why is it that Moses struggles so much living in the palace? Can I tell you that finally he had to come to this point where he said, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I enjoy the food y'all are eating here in the palace. I, I, I enjoy the chariot rides. I, I enjoy the rise in the boat down the Niles. I, I've enjoyed all that stuff. I, I'm telling you, something inside of me says, I, I can't live another day without having to do something. Something has to be done. There's an injustice uh, that cannot exist anymore. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I know one thing, uh, that man's not going to whip that man anymore. I got to stand up and I got to do something about it. And everybody likes to judge Moses and go, yeah, he really messed up because, you know, he killed this guy and, and you know, he, he's run out of Egypt. And everything. Can I just challenge that thought and just tell you that there was he was eaten up uh, with an injustice and he did not know what to do about it. And maybe he could have gone about it a different way. Maybe there was a, some kind of law and legislation. I don't know. But I do know this, uh, that there comes a point in our life uh, when we say, I can't sit by anymore and just watch injustices take place. Uh, I've got to rise up to the table and I've got to put a stake into the ground and I've got to make my mark and say I'm not going to lose this moment. It's not going to pass me by. I'm going to stand up because perhaps I was born for such a time as this. The palace has been nice but I'm not happy anymore. I'm willing to lose everything to make my mark.
Let me say this again. I'm willing to lose everything so I can make my mark. I am the man that you're beating. You may think you're beating a Hebrew slave, but I am that man. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. And we all have moments that we're not allowed to miss. We have moments. There's lots of moments in our life. And we can miss a lot of those moments. We can make lots of mistakes, but there are a few moments that come in our life that you can't miss. You can't miss this one. Because all the marbles, your future lies on what you do in this one moment. You can't go another sleepless night saying, well, someone will take care of it, someone will do something. No, you're the church. And God's put greatness inside of you. And you're bothered because you realize this is not the way it's supposed to be. Our community's not supposed to be this way. Our school system's not supposed to be this way. Our nation's not supposed to be this way. Our families are not supposed to be this way. The marriages are not supposed to be this way. Whatever it is, there is something that bothers you. What is the mark that you're going to make? I love it about Jesus. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In other words, he said, okay, it's time to make my mark. Greatness is inside of you. It's inside of me. And God has sent you and equipped you and surrounded you with everything you need to make that mark. But it all begins with Jesus as the center of your life. If you've not made Jesus your everything, if you've not laid down your life to Jesus, you'll never make your mark. And greatness will escape you all the days of your life. But if you will lay down your life for Jesus, greatness will come out inside of you and flow from you and be healing to the nations. With every head up and every eye awake and open, you say, Pastor JP, I've not surrendered my life to Jesus. I've not allowed him that opportunity. But I want to today. I'm just going to pray for you. I just want you to raise your hand. Raise your right where you're at. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to start there. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. Okay. Amen. Amen. I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Amen. Who else? I'm surrendering my life to Jesus today. I'm laying down my life. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, for that hand. Yes, that one, that one. Who else? Today is the day. Greatness is going to start. I would love to lead you in a prayer. Those that raise your hand, I call it a salvation prayer. I'd love for you to pray this prayer with me right where you're sitting. 
fact, I would like all of us to pray it together. Would you say this with me, Lord Jesus? I lay down my life and ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I thank you for hearing my prayer, forgiving my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for praying that prayer. In fact, don't leave here without us giving you a Bible at those little tables, those little bistro tables out in the lobby. We want to give you a Bible, going to give you some material. Fill a little connect card. Let us know the decision you made. We want to follow up with you. I feel like, well, how should we end today? For everyone else of us. I think marks of greatness start with a movement. You have to make a decision and you have to make a movement. It all starts with a decision. Some here have not allowed people to get close to you. That really needs to change. God wants it to change. You need to be open. Yeah, you've been hurt, but God wants to change that. Some of you have been angry and bitter about your past and how it all kind of came about. Your life's not like everyone else's. That's okay. God got you where you're supposed to be. You will need to make a mark. He wants you to make a mark. And others of us feel inside of us, you wrestle with things and you think that everybody else could do something about it, but you could never be one that could. That's wrong. Because God loves to take the underdog, that rich strike, to lead the others. And so this morning, I'm asking us to make a step, to make a mark. This may be unusual for some, maybe something you've never done, I don't know. But I felt maybe it would be good for us to step out as a symbolic, symbolic action to the Lord, saying, God, I'm ready to become great in you. I'm bringing to you all I have. I'm asking you to make yourself great through me. I would like for you to join me and step out of your seat and just as the worship team begins to sing, I'm gonna pray for you. But just to step out and say, and join me right here and say, man, I'm, I'm allowing God to, to make me great. Father God, right now in Jesus' name, we ask you, Lord God, to open our lives up and to make us great. For your name's sake, for your glory's sake, we gather here at this altar in the name of Jesus and we say, Father, we're not here to take up space or time, but we come, Lord God, for a purpose and a reason. We know that your hand is upon us. And Lord God, our desire is to allow yourself to blow through us, oh God, that the world be touched and changed. So Lord, we submit ourselves to greatness. We submit ourselves, Lord God, to your purpose and to your will. And we give you the thanks and we give you the praise, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we just love on the Lord for a few minutes? Come on.